Sunday, July the 9th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Good. Okay, here we go. Episode five of What is Truth, which is also the final episode of What is Truth. Now, every episode on Netflix and on Prime Video and stuff, if it's got a little bit of complexity to it, or there's a plot or a story or a twist, it has a little recap at the beginning. How many of you skip the recap? So you people with your hands up should be the ones most primed to be able to give a little quick summary of the last four or five episodes that we've had here in church, because you don't need uh, the recap. I'd love you to think about, just for a moment, uh, uh, what is the recap? What's the whole thing been about? What are the major themes that we've talked about? What are the kind of plot twists that have been there along the way? And when you think of something that is even a tiny bit sensible, just shout it out. Divided heart. Peter and David, lies. Oh, dig deep, people. Just for my own sake, yeah, just make it up for me. Conscious and unconscious lies, great. Oh, brilliant. Feelings lead to behavior. Limitless possibilities. Nice. God heals. We all need healing. We all believe lies. Identifying the lies we believe. Sorry? The fall started with a lie. It all went wrong with uh, a lie. We're invited... On a journey of what? what? What's the invitation that God has us on? It's a journey of truth and discovery, which is another way of saying the goal. What's the goal? Transformation. The, what we're invited on, that truth and discovery, we're invited on this journey, and all those things that we just talked about are components to our both our understanding of what it means to be on this journey of transformation. The goal is for me and you to be like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the only thing we have to do in this life. It's quite simple, really, isn't it? Just be like Jesus. Just go and do that. To be transformed into his likeness. That's the goal. But the gateway, the way we begin that journey is what? Where does it start? Honesty. Honesty. The unveiled faces. The gateway. The gateway to the journey of transformation. The way in. The way you step into it is by being willing to be honest. By taking the mask off. And uh, that's kind of the, the, the bedrock, the basis of the way we begin to 
recognize that our hearts are divided. There's part of me that loves Jesus and there's part of me that's cold and apathetic. There's part of me that's believing and there's part of me that's unbelieving. There's part of me that's faith-filled and there's part of me that's faithless. There's part of me that feels healed and whole and alive and there's part of me that feels broken and damaged and uh, uh, torn in different ways. Ways. And so we've been building, haven't we, together this idea of um, the way the, these three things of behavior and feeling and lies all interact uh, with each other. Yeah? So we did this last time, didn't we? Very quickly. So we've got feelings and we've got lies. And we know that feelings, wrong feelings lead to wrong behavior. And wrong feelings come from lies. And every time we behave in a certain way, what that does is it reinforces the feelings. And that makes us more comfortable with the lie. And then every time we lie, it produces bad behavior. And that bad behavior just reminds us that it's okay and safe to believe the lie. And my iPad's just crashed. And all that's just disappeared. But apart from that, you got the general idea. So we've got behavior up here. Let's do that very quickly. We've got feelings. And we've got lies. And these all interact with each other. And where does Paul talk about how he became trapped in this cycle? Romans chapter 7, which is what we had last week, wasn't it? Romans chapter 7, he becomes locked in it. And what we've tried to do, haven't we, over time, is we focused on behavior. If only I can modify my behavior then then I'll, I'll be more Christ-like. I'll become a better Christian. And that's been killing most Christians for a long, long time. And that's why Christians are very miserable. And uh, then we've had to go, well, let's, let's just ignore the feelings because that will be another way of trying to break this cycle. If I ignore the way that I feel and I put a lid on it, then that's okay for a while until someone says something I don't like and stand well back because all those feelings are still inside me. So we know from last time that what we have to do is deal with the lies, yeah? That's what we have to attack. The reason that I wanted to put that back on the screen again this morning is because the thing that we need to understand is whilst the lies is the only way to break that cycle, if we want to go on a journey of transformation, we need to engage all three, the behavior, the feeling, and the lies. We need to engage all three. We can't just focus on one of them, even if it's the lie, without thinking about the way that that lie has led to those feelings, and by thinking about the way that those feelings lead to that behavior. Transformation requires the fact that we engage with all three. And so um, I've been trying to think about how can we kind of visualize it and think about it in a way that's helpful for us to, to, to take hold of. And if you want to unlock something, what do you need? Great. Oh, you're way ahead of me. Look at this. This is, my, this is why I didn't do GCSE art. This is why I didn't do art in class R either. That's my key. And in a key, you need somewhere to put the key ring on. So that's the bit there. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? That's a key, isn't it? Come on, let's have a bit. Thank you very much, Keith. That's a, it took a lot of emotional effort to bear that before you in all its glory. Look at that as a key. Looks really kind of firm and solid, doesn't it? So, so what do we need? Number one, we need to engage our behavior, yeah? What's the next thing we need? Come on, people. Feelings. Oh, yeah, you said it. What's the third thing we need to engage? 
Way gosh, it's easy, isn't it? This is this is class one time of journey of transformation stuff, right? You have to deal with all three, okay? If you're going to build your key, you need all three, okay? And then when you get to the lie, what do you need to do with lies? Oh, you can read. Well done. You need to repent. You need to deal with the lie. You need to confess it because lying is what? Is lying good? No, lying's bad, isn't it? We all know lying's, lying's naughty, so stop it, yes? So we've got to turn away from that. And as we repent, the Bible says that God promises to forgive us and to heal us. So we need then to, fifthly, because fourthly is the repent, fifthly, we need to receive. What do we need to receive? Forgiveness and cleansing and healing. And we live that out by doing what? By reestablishing the truth. Well done. And then finally, seven. Look at this, it's perfect, isn't it? We need to recommit. Double M's and double T's, recommit. One T. Oh, it's perfect until I did that. Look at that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Someone loves me. Recommit to living the truth. Recommit to living the way that we were always designed to live. So that's the key okay, to unlocking your divided heart. A round of applause for my artistic talent, please. I'd like you to do it again with meaning. No, you can't, you're right, so don't bother. (laughs) Standing ovation. (laughs) Okay, so we're trying to build uh, a, a key that unlocks our uh, divided hearts. What I'd love you to do is get your smartphone out or your tablet. The bigger the screen you have with you, the better. If you haven't got one, it's fine. I'll put it on the screen. Don't, don't, don't believe the lie that you're going to be left out because we all belong. Yeah. But if you've got one, get it out. And if something inside you says that Jesus will be angry for you getting on your phone in church... Let me tell you that he'll be really pleased with you. You got it? Okay. Now, I've I've exposed my artistic talent. I now want to introduce you to a tool that is not finished. We're just building it. Now, something that you build looks rough and ready. And you will say, someone who did GCSE graphic design could have done better than that. And you will be right. You will say, someone who's got some skills should think about that, and you would be right, and they will. So this is all kind of unbranded. This is a bit like Android beta. We're going to throw it out into the marketplace and see how it goes, rather than Apple when it's all supposed to be sewn up, but doesn't work anyway. So what I'd love you to do, I'd love you to point your smartphone at the QR code and press the little yellow dot, or, or if you don't know how that works... Burlington.church, be transformed in your browser. Oh, we're having fun, aren't we? High tech, this is... Does that work, people? If it's working, you're as surprised as I am, so hold it and show someone. Say, never believe it, it worked. Look at that. This is... We're really pushing back the boundaries...
Okay, we all good? Suddenly you've become a technical expert in your row, helping out the people next to you. Here we go. Okay. So if you turn it on landscape, it's a bit bigger, obviously, but you knew that. Just And basically, what we're trying to build is a journey that you can go, pay attention, pay attention, stop flicking through all the pages, just chill out everybody, plenty of time. What we're, what we're building is kind of a tool, a journey that will help us deal with our lives, have our hearts healed up and become more like Jesus, yeah? So these steps, and we can give you these printed out uh, as well, so it doesn't need to rely on phones. And everything that they're looking at on uh, their tablets and their phones is what's replicated on the screen. Recognize, the first thing we need to do is recognize the behavior and the feelings behind it in our divided heart, don't we? Behavior and feelings, those two things we've been looking at. And in each of these slides, there's going to be a prayer. And... On each of these slides, there's going to be something for you to write down. Now, the writing down or the recording it is really important, okay? Because we live in an instant society, you will want to fast-track this whole process, and you can't. The reason that writing it down, or if you prefer to speak it out, record it, literally record you speaking it out... Is because it takes what's in your head as a kind of idea and it helps you take hold of it and says, this is real. And if you've done any journaling, do you know what I'm talking about? Something in your head takes on a clarity and a form when you write it down. Someone look at me like that's, there's some truth in that. That's what happens. That's how we're made. Because what's happening is some of your right brain creativity and your left brain logic are connecting up and it creates something. Uh, when your left brain is on its own and your right brain is on its own, you're in a pickle. But when those two things come together, you have something worth dealing with. So you write it down. So you're writing down the behavior and the feeling behind it. The next thing that we need to do is to review to go back in our lives and to begin to see where we've had those feelings before and therefore where we've behaved in that way before. Because what we don't want to do is just deal with things on the surface. We want to excavate. So when you find a root, then you want to find out where all the bits and pieces, all the branches of that root have gone so you can pull the whole thing up, yeah? What you don't want to do is like when you pull a weed up, is to pull some of it up and leave some of it there. That's not clever, is it? Because what happens? Just comes back. Yeah. So we want to understand behavior, feelings, and lies and see where those things have been evident in our lives. And then thirdly, we need to reveal the lie that lies behind the behavior and the feelings. And you will know from last week that it was quite easy to find a lie, wasn't it? Did anyone look at those 43 lies and go, nope, not me? It's quite easy to find the lies. It doesn't matter whether you do step three or step two or step one. But remember the key. You've got to do all three before you move on. You can't go down the key until you've done all three. Don't rush ahead. Get all three under your belt. You've written it down in your journal and then you're ready to go. Repent. Father, I confess that I believe the lie that dot, dot, dot. And I ask for your forgiveness and receive your cleansing, healing and rescue. Don't rush this moment. Pray that prayer multiple times. Allow it to go from your head to your heart. 
Lean in. Begin to believe it in your heart and not just your head. So there's nothing to write down there, but there's plenty to do. Repent. Receive. Allow Jesus to cleanse that place with the liars taken root. Invite him to. Jesus, cleanse me. Jesus, come into that place where that lie has taken hold of me. And invite him into any memories that come to mind. So write down how you feel, any memories that come to mind, and any sense of what Jesus is doing or saying. Re-establish the truth by speaking it out. We'll do uh, some more of that this morning before we come to the end of our time together. And then, for goodness sake, just go and live it now. So work out what it means to live differently. If I don't feel that anymore, but I feel this, how will that affect the way that I behave? So track it right back to step one and step two. How will that new feeling produce new behavior? How will that new way of thinking produce a new way of acting and living? I'd love you to help me by trialing that beta test this week. That would be a great help to me, and you never know, it might help you. That was a joke. Do it this week so that it helps you, and it may and it will help us. Get some feedback, send us an email, send us a text, write on WhatsApp, do whatever you want to do. Let us know how you got on with that as a process. We will make it more interactive, we'll brand it properly, we'll do something decent with it eventually, but it's there for us to begin to use and to lean into. Sound like a plan? Do you think you can do that this week? Just make a note as to when you're going to do it. Because I say I'm going to do lots of things. I don't always get to it. Just make a note. When are you going to do it? Just give yourself 15 minutes. That's all you need. Seven steps in 15 minutes. That's two minutes a step with one minute to breathe. Have a go. See how you get on. And let us know. And let us know more than anything what God's doing. Isn't this a beautiful thing that God's going to do some stuff in all our hearts and lives? It was lovely to hear what God was doing last week with people as we went through those lies together. Uh, super important. All good? Bullington.church forward slash be transformed bookmark it now in your phones. That would be great. It's quite quiet in here, isn't it? Is it are you quiet because you're happy and content? Because you're overwhelmed? Because you're wishing this whole thing would come to an end? What's going on, people? Someone give me a feeling word. Challenge. Sorry? Struggle. Yeah. Focusing. Sorry, contained. Yep. Absorbing. We're going to end this morning by singing a song about the battle. Because this is a battle. Do you know what the enemy wants more than ever? is to keep your heart divided. That's why it's a struggle. That's why it feels a bit heavy. That's why there'll be a thousand things that will stop you doing that 15 minutes. I mean, how many minutes are there in a week? Anyone know? There are a few. How many? What percentage of the week is 15 minutes? Someone work that out. The enemy will do everything to keep you away from that 15 minutes. You with me? 
This is, are you with me? Hello? This is the, everything to keep you away from that 15 minutes. You, you will not feel struggle, overwhelm, challenge. You will not feel like doing that one little bit, I promise you. You will not wake up one morning and think, do you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to go digging in my heart today and see what, you will not feel like that, I promise you. The fact that you don't feel like that, the fact that you feel like it's going to be a massive effort is just a reminder that it's the right thing to do. Is anything really worthwhile that's been easy and you've fallen into it? No. The battle belongs to who? To the Lord. All he asks you to do is to show up and be willing. That's pretty cool, isn't it? He'll do the fighting. He'll do the hard lifting. He just invites us to show up and be willing willing. Okay, we're going to wrap this whole thing up with some great truths about God. Four game-changing truths. In the middle of that wonderful psalm that Angela read to us, it says, once God has spoken, twice have I heard that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. A single verse that captures four incredible truths about who God is. God's greatness and glory. Excuse me. God's goodness and God's grace. Four game-changing truths. We had 40-odd lies last week. And in testing them out in different places, I've probably added at least another 10 or 15 that take it into different aspects of our lives that I hadn't covered in the first 43. And if it feels like we're kind of developing this as we go along, that's because that's exactly what we're doing. And we're learning as we go, and we're trying to get stuff that's really useful uh, to us. I think that all of those lies will fall into one or other of these four categories. So this is kind of some big overarching truths that help us to get orientated on the journeys that we are on. So the first one is this, God is great, so what? So I don't have to be in control. Who has measured, said Isaiah, the waters in the hollow of his hand or with his breadth of his hand, sorry, with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? In other words, this is a spatial metaphor. This is a metaphor of God being outside of time itself and therefore being ultimately in control of everything. Traveling at the speed of light, which is how fast? 186,000 miles a second. Well done, Alan. You've obviously been on the EasyJet recently. You would encircle the earth seven times in one second at 186,000 miles a second, the speed of light. You would pass the moon in two seconds, traveling at the speed of light. At this speed, it would take you 4.3 years to reach the nearest star. Think about that for a moment. Think about how massive that is. Just get your head around that. And 100,000 years traveling at 186,000 miles a second to cross our galaxy. And there are thought to be about 100,000 million galaxies in our universe. Honestly, 
Whatever you're stressed about, God's got it. God's got it. He's not thwarted by what's happening with you. He's not caught off guard. He doesn't know. He he isn't in a panic going to the Son and the Holy Spirit. What on earth are we going to do? I didn't see that coming. He's outside the whole thing. If you are stressed, if you are anxious, if you are worn out, if you are fearful, if you are overwhelmed, if you are living with worry, have I covered all of you yet? I guarantee it's because you're trying to control something. 100%. Stressed, anxious, worn out, fearful, lots of depression, overwhelmed. Guarantee it's because you're trying to control something. Don't be stupid. You can't control anything. You can't control anything. But we put our trust, we put our lives in the hands of someone who can control everything. And Paul would say, that's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've, to look after everything. I'm just convinced that he'll fix it all in the end. He's got it all covered. I know God's got it. Can you see how there's a twofold lie here? The first lie is that I can control it. You you can't control it. Name something that you can control. You can't control it. The second lie is God can't control it either. Can you see how that double helix, double lies is so strong and so powerful in our lives? I'm trying to control what I can't and I can't trust God to control what he can. And so I'm stuffed both ways. If you, um, if you find the 15 minutes a day, or fit, no, 15 minutes a week, what was the percentage? Anyone work that out? 0.149% is the 15 minutes in a week. Brilliant. Okay. If you can manage the 0.149% and have got a bit of spare time, my invitation would be for you to study Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5 where the writer, Mark, of the Gospel of Jesus, takes the readers on a journey about replacing fear with faith. And Mark chapter 4 and chapter 5 tells multiple stories about the way that God or Jesus is in control of the natural world, the spiritual world, he's in control of sickness, he's even in control of death. And the, the, notice how many times the idea of, is it faith or fear that's leading the way? And allow the scriptures to speak into your heart. Do the 15 minutes first, but if you've got spare time, or your 0.14, whatever it was, then go for that as well. That would be brilliant. God is great. I don't have to be in control. God is glorious. I don't have to fear others. I don't have to fear others. How much of our lives are controlled by what others think? 
If God is glorious, if God is the one who transcends everything, if God is the one who makes every, from which everything comes and out of which everything makes sense, the only opinion in the whole wide world that really matters is his. Can you imagine the huge freedom if you don't need to spend any time whatsoever, effort and emotional energy into what other people think? How much time, effort, emotional energy, money, buying things you don't want to impress people you don't like is taken up in trying to create an impression because you care about what others think. I know in a church as mature as ours, this will be a hard concept for us to understand. But maybe just one of you has heard about someone else who has behaved like that in the past. Can you imagine the freedom? Just think about it. I mean, it's hard to imagine the freedom of not caring two hoots about what other people think. That journey, if I can be honest, has really helped me in my role here. The freedom not to care about what you think. Because I've learned that at the end of the day, what will really matter, what I really care about deep down in my gut somewhere, if I'm quiet enough, is what God thinks. And because I care about what God thinks, then I care about what you think. You with me? In that order. And there's a freedom in that. And that's the same for all of us in all of our relationships. Let me give you a few symptoms of behaviors that reveal the lie that we're talking about here, that I need to be afraid of what others think. Is anyone here susceptible to peer pressure? Is anyone here concerned about their self-esteem? If any, is anyone here overcommitted because they can't say no? Is anyone here fear of being exposed? Has anyone here ever bought into a small lie, just a teeny-weeny lie, to make themselves look a bit better? Has anyone found that someone else makes them jealous, angry, depressed, or anxious? Have you ever been tempted to avoid people? Have you ever compared yourself with someone sitting in your row at church? Or behind you, or in front of you, or anywhere else for that matter? It's hard to imagine any of us identifying with these things I know. But if God is glorious, then all that matters is what he thinks, is what he says, is his opinion, is his delight, is his pleasure. Who wrote that book or that worship thing about the audience of one? It's it's all about it. Then everything else finds its rightful place. Of course I'm interested in what you think. Of course we're interested in what each other thinks. But that's there, and what God thinks is this. And that's what matters. And that's the safest place in the universe. Because God knows everything there is about me, and he loves me anyway. So I don't need to be anxious or afraid. Because his perfect love casts out all. All my fear. Because I know he loves me. And that's a place of great delight. And when we glimpse that, when we glimpse that, can you see that we're called into something altogether different? That's a totally different way of living, isn't it? to the way we often find ourselves 
behaving. Thirdly, God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere. When Jesus met the woman at the well, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. There's nothing that can satisfy, not even water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is so cool, isn't it? I think I need, 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 I need. And Jesus says to the woman, look, there's just one thing that you need. And actually, when you have that one thing, everything else fits into its rightful place. You see, that's the lie exposed right there, that in order for me to be content and satisfied, I need what? What do you need to be content? Do you, do you need, what, what do you need? Do you need the house to be tidy? Do you need that new kitchen you've been looking at? Do you need that new car that you've wanted? Do you need to move house? Do you need to... What do you need? Do you need to dress in a certain way? What, what do you need to be content? Do you need some time? Do you need some peace? What, what do you need? And we, we line up all these things that we need, and it's not that they might be in themselves wrong, although some of them may well be, depending on our context. It's not that those things might be, might be wrong, but they need to find their rightful place. Because those needs will never, ever satisfy the longing in our hearts. And that was the story of the woman at the well. You see, and Jesus pointed that out. Jesus said to the woman at the well, who, who had five uh, four husbands and the one she's with now isn't a husband. She looked to satisfy her needs through intimacy, relationship, uh, and perhaps se- sexual gratification. Who, who knows? But that picture of, of, of I need, I, I need, and then that wasn't enough, so I needed someone else, and then he wasn't enough, and I needed someone else. And so there's this whole history of, in her life, of needs not being satisfied. And Jesus is basically saying, hey, if you, if you look primarily to anyone or anything else before me, you will find that you are still in need. God isn't just good, he's better than everything else. This week, Kerry and I will celebrate 32 years of being married. And, oh, thank you very much. <clears throat> That's for her rather than for me. <laughs> but the, the, what's Jesus saying in, those, in all our relationships? If we look to each other for the thing that only God ultimately can give, we will put too much pressure on each other. And that's so often the story, isn't it? I'm not finding it from God, so I'm looking to someone or something else to fill that space. And Ecclesiastes, Solomon, writing some wisdom, he says, the thing is, in your heart and mind is eternity. You cannot satisfy eternity with something that's temporal. That's obvious, isn't it? And yet we look for temporal things to satisfy our eternal need. God is good. I don't have to look elsewhere. And so we confess the lie that if I have dot, dot, dot. In fact, this is the way it frames itself, doesn't it? Have you ever thought like this? If I have this, I won't want anything else. If I have this, I'll never want anything else again. That's how it works. That's the lie. Ultimately, if we have him, we have no need of anything else in that basic way. St. Augustine writes, doesn't he, so famously, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Last one, God is gracious. God is gracious. I don't have to prove myself. 
How cool is this? Nothing to prove. It's agony waking up in the morning, isn't it? Trying to prove yourself. Am I successful enough? Have I been good enough? Am I liked enough? Am I tall enough? That's a tricky one. Am I short enough? Am I thin enough? Am I good looking enough? Am I gifted enough? Am I skilled enough? Do I belong enough? Got nothing to prove. They refused to listen and failed to remember. They returned to slavery. They became stiff-necked, and in their rebellion, they returned to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you do not, or you did not, desert them. I don't have to prove myself. If only I stay out there and work a bit harder, if only I stay out there and become a bit more successful, if only I stay out there and prove to myself and others that I can make it, if only I stay out there a few more hours, a bit more effort, a bit more, a bit more, a bit more, then it'll all fall into place. And God just says, for goodness sake, for the love of the universe, just come home. And that's the story of the prodigal son, isn't it? He was out there going, prove, 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 prove. I, I can't do it anymore. I can't make it. Just come home. God is gracious. I don't have to prove myself. And all he wants is for you and I to come home. And you can stay out there trying to earn your right to come home. You with me? You will stay out there your whole life if you're trying to earn your right to come home. And out there is what? What kind of place was the prodigal son in? What does being out there trying to prove yourself that you can make it on your own lead to? What was he in when he came to his senses? A mess, a pigsty, a pigsty. You can stay out there all you like, but it's like scurrying around, crawling around in a pigsty. And the father who loves you says, hey, for goodness sake, please just come home. Just come home. I don't have to prove myself. Hey, I'm coming. I'm running. Here we go. What's God saying? What's God saying? Ooh, yellow doesn't work on that, does it? Can I have a few thousand quid for a projector? No, just kidding. Look at the side screens if it's not very clear. Which one of those? So, honestly, which one of those is just grabbing you this morning? Okay? Which one? You've got time to do all four in the week or the weeks ahead, but which one? And you need to fill it in. What's the behavior? What's the feeling that's behind the behavior? And what's the lie that you're believing? And and we can all find things in each of those quadrants. Just pick one. Which quadrant is grabbing your attention this morning? What's God saying to you right now? What's the behavior? What's the feeling? What's the lie? You willing to name the lie and confess it? 
I've held on to something that isn't true. I've aligned myself with the father of lies. I've allowed part of my heart to stay in the camp of the enemy. And I'm choosing to come home. And so I repent, I confess, I turn around, I say, no, that's a lie. That's a, I'm not believing that lie anymore. I'm not accepting that lie. I'm not giving that lie credibility or credence in my heart anymore. And the trouble is, lies scream at us. So in the name of Jesus, I'm shutting out the scream of that lie. I'm inviting Jesus to expose it. When Jesus' purity and white brilliance shines, then every little bit that isn't clear and brilliant is shown up on that canvas. And so I see the lie for what it is in the name of Jesus. And I confess it. I don't want it. Not, not agreeing with it anymore. I'm not joining in with it. Because that's not the truth. And so I confess my sin. I confess the way I've held on to the lie. You're faithful and just. And you forgive me, and so I begin to receive your forgiveness. And you promise to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, all that is not pure and holy. Your cleansing and your healing, it's all just one big glorious word for you because you do it all in our lives. And so if there are memories that we remember, we just invite you in. If there are feelings that we feel, we just hand them over to you, Jesus. We receive your forgiveness, your cleansing, your healing. And we reestablish the truth that God is good. God is good for me. God is glorious. He's the only one, the only opinion that really matters. God is, God is great and powerful and I can trust him with all the things I can't control. And God is gracious, loving and kind and I can relax in his presence. And so I'm learning to feel different. And because I feel different, I'll live different. And slowly, I'm becoming a bit more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Like anything new that we do, it's hard work. It's, it's learning a new skill. It's stretching new muscles in our hearts. It's learning to feel in different ways. It's learning to lean into God's Spirit in ways that perhaps we haven't done before. But there's incredible promise that as we draw near to God, He will what? He will draw near to us. Amazing promises about his grace being enough. So as the band plays and sings, sing or reflect, let's use these moments to allow Jesus to meet us in our hearts.